This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. A few days ago, the Dallas Morning News published an opinion piece by Ed Stetzer and Andrew McDonald from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. And the headline was, it's time we evangelicals have a talk about Christian nationalism. And it was the usual never Trump evangelical leftist tripe about the January 6th Trump rally. They said the prominence of Christian symbols and messages intermixed in the Capitol insurrection was disturbing and that photos from the rally displayed the idol of of Christian nationalism. They went on to write the belief that America enjoys providential favor or blessings above other nations is unbiblical. Well, first of all, it's absurd to say it's disturbing that perfectly peaceful Christians were among the hundreds of thousands of rally attendees. So what if they were? And what is Christian nationalism anyway? You never really get a solid definition out of these guys. But Stetzer's other writings have clearly reflected his condescension toward Christian conservatives. Now he's among a number of leftists in the church who are likening Christian conservatives to a cult and urging us to apologize rather than turning their attention to the evils of their own political aisle and agenda. Now, Dr. Everett Piper has just written a great column about this in the Washington Times titled Evangelicals Ridiculously Asked to Apologize for Supporting Trump. He's also the author of Not a Daycare. And he joins us now. Dr. Piper, so great to have you here again. How are you? I'm doing great, Janet. It's always my honor to join you. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's my honor to have you here. I take it you have not apologized yet. Just kind of a wild guess in the wind here that you're not going to apologize for your political views. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to apologize for voting for life. I'm going to apologize for voting for freedom. I'm going to apologize for voting that women are actually real and not some sort of fabrication of a dysphoric male that wants to pretend and play dress up. Yeah, I'm going to apologize for that. What in the world is Ed Stetzer and David French and then Joanne Lyon from my own previous denomination is out there calling for the same thing? This is just an insult to those of us who have a little bit deeper view of the political agenda where we actually recognize that we vote for the covenant. We vote for the platform. We don't vote for a king. We actually vote for principles. And we actually believe the sins of Donald Trump, though they be many, probably aren't equal to the sin of butchering babies and degrading women by suggesting that men should be able to steal their shower and their scholarship and their sport. Well said. So what are people like David French out there saying? I know Russell Moore's been on a tear talking about the horrors of the insurrection, you know, acting like everybody who was in Washington was breaking down the Capitol doors when it was just a few outliers. He's gotten into the game. What about French? What is he saying these days? Well, and I want to make it clear Um, the strength of my commentary here is not intended to be an attack of the person. I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to get into these ad hominem attacks like the left ventures upon us, where they call us names and they refuse to attack the idea. They choose to attack us. Right. So let me be clear. I think French is a good man, and I'm not suggesting he's not a Christian. I actually appreciate some of David French's defense of religious liberty. But on this issue, 
because he's so fixated on beating this never-Trumper drum all the time, I think he's missing the mark, where he's calling upon us to apologize. He's actually written a letter recently, or an op-ed recently, where he calls on evangelical Christians who have supported Donald Trump to apologize to the nation for doing so. Well, again, Donald Trump has his sins. I don't appreciate his acerbic tweets. I don't necessarily think he has uh, necessarily a, a mature temperament at times the way, in the way he communicates. But really, really, you're going to claim that there's a moral equivalency between Donald Trump's uh, ill-mannered tweeting and Joe Biden's support of killing young children five seconds before they're born. Really, yeah. where in the Bible does it suggest such moral equivalency? Whether it be David French suggesting it or Stetzer or Joanne Lyon or anybody else, I think that is unbiblical, and I think it's un- Ill- illogical, and it doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, and have they ever called upon leftists to apologize for voting for Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or even Joe Biden? Have you seen anything like that from this crowd? No, no. Again, they seem to suggest that because they believe Joe Biden's politics are more Christian than yours or mine, that somehow it's acceptable to vote for a man and a woman, Kamala Harris, who are leading us down the path to a cultural hell. I mean, they're appointing people to the cabinet that don't even believe in the science of anatomy. They're making decisions that will unleash the hounds of hell against children who are five seconds away from exiting the birth canal. They can now be dismembered by the scalpel of Planned Parenthood, and they're celebrating that as if that somehow is not a more egregious sin than Donald Trump being a big meanie. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, it's just amazing. And I'm getting a little tired of hearing about the Christian nationalism thing because they never define it. In fact, I don't really understand what it is. I don't understand what they mean by Christian nationalism. Do they mean Christians who are patriotic and love their country and cling to American ideals, which are wonderful and are part of our entire you know, fabric of our nation? Or do they mean that we're all secret KKK members? I, I'm not really sure what they're getting at. Have you been able to delineate any kind of particular definition from any of these never Trumpers on what they actually believe Christian nationalism is? Well, no, and they're not going to define it, because that's the nature of the progressive left. You don't define your terms. Uh, Let me give you an example. Hope and change. (laughs) Barack Obama's campaign slogan was brilliant. Hope and change, because it's an empty glass. You can pour anything into the definition of hope and change that you want. And therefore, you think you're getting the hope and the change that you desire, and Barack Obama knew that. It's a progressive, postmodern way to communicate. You don't define your terms. And you do it in a positive way by using words like hope and change, but you also do it in a negative way by hanging this label of insurrectionist on your opponent's nose or Christian nationalism on your opponent's nose. And they don't define it. They don't intend to define it. They want people to fill that empty glass with very negative uh, definitions. That's why they do it. 
Yes. Of course, Biden's uh, Biden's line probably was more akin to Trump is evil. Vote for me because he didn't really seem to have any any sort of slogan at all. I guess hope and change is a little bit more vague, but it also is a little bit more, uh, you know, hopeful for people. It was terrible and it was empty. Like you said, you could pour into it anything you want to. But now we have an administration that, like you said, is doing all kinds of horrendous things. And I wonder how many never Trumpers are going to jump in and say, boy, were we wrong about all this? They claim to be pro-life, for example. Well, why aren't they on the side of life then? Well, you can't possibly be a pro-life Christian and vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You can't. I mean, that's like saying that you're pro-Jew and you vote for Hitler. Hmm. And I know people are going to say, well, that's an extreme analogy. Anytime you bring up Hitler, that's an extreme analogy. But the extremity of the analogy is important because you can't claim to be for something and then vote for an individual that's antithetical to those values in every way. How in the world can you claim to be pro-life and vote for a man who believes that you can extinguish that life five seconds before it's born. That's not pro-life. I don't care which way you slice it. You've got to force these people to define their terms. And when you do, that's when they lose because their terms are so poorly and loosely defined. Nationalism, for example. What the heck is nationalism? Is it the belief in national borders? Is it the belief in a national pledge? Is it the belief in a national constitution? Is that nationalism? Well, if so, I raise my hand. I'm a nationalist. Yeah. And yes, I am a Christian, and I believe in the Christian DNA of our nation. Right. Exactly right. And and yet nationalism, again, that's kind of one of those progressive terms into which you can pour anything you want to. And I think a lot of leftists hear nationalism and they think uh, far right extremists, domestic terrorists. And as we know, the rhetoric of the left post January 6th has been all about stirring up all sorts of images in people's minds that Christians in particular, Trump voters in particular, are domestic terrorists of sorts. And that's dangerous territory. We're going to take a break and come back with Dr. Everett Piper. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800 yes word or there's a bible league banner to click at janetmefford.com 
the healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. This is Janet Mefford today. And now here's your host, Janet Mefford. It is always so great to have you here and always great to have Dr. Everett Piper here. He is a columnist at the Washington Times and his latest piece, Evangelicals Ridiculously Asked to Apologize for Supporting Trump, is as usual right on the money. You know, we were talking about this term, Christian nationalism, Dr. Piper, and how these woke never Trumpers and the evangelical leadership circles love to yell about Christian nationalists. We need to apologize for voting for Trump and this sort of stuff. And we're asking this question, what is it anyway? They never define it. But I go back to this piece that Ed Stetzer wrote along with this other Andrew McDonald from the Billy Graham Center in the Dallas Morning News. And they said the belief that America enjoys providential favor or blessings above other nations is unbiblical. Well, I'm looking at the history of the United States and I would go back to the original settlers of this country. When we go back to the Mayflower and the Pilgrims and the early uh, settlers here of the United States, what was to become the United States, how in the world can you deny that God gave us special providence? This is the most free country, at least has been, of any country that's ever been. How in the world can you make the case that America is nothing special compared to any other country? This, um, this is a stunning claim that somehow the United States, when it has been obedient to God, when it has behaved biblically, somehow we have not enjoyed special protection, providential protection and blessing from God, and that it's unbiblical for us to claim that when we are obedient, when my people do call upon my name and confess their sins and turn from their evil ways, I will heal their land. Yes. And when we Christians claim that that healing has taken place over the course of 200 years plus of our nation, that somehow it's unbiblical to make that claim, this is a denial of American exceptionalism is really what it is. They despise the idea that America is exceptional because of our Constitution, because of our Declaration of Independence, because of our Christian DNA that courses through the veins of our culture and our country, they don't want to admit that America is exceptional. And it's not unbiblical where? They need to point to the verse that says it's unbiblical for any nation, whether it's America or the United Kingdom or any other nation, when it calls upon the name of the Lord and confesses its sins and turns from its wicked ways and seeks the face of God, that it is unbiblical for that nation to receive blessing and forgiveness and providential grace from God? Where? Where does the Bible say that? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Where is it written? And this is a point that you make so well in your column when you're talking about all of the policies that are now being put into place by the Biden administration. Why aren't these never Trumpers out there calling on this nation to repent for what it's doing? For example, trying to make sexual orientation and gender identity protected classes like it's skin color or religion or, you know, all of these things that are happening. And you mentioned women's sports are under fire and we see what's going on with the border and what's going on with the climate madness and this and that and everything else and abortion for crying out loud Biden he was barely in office and he started trying to undo some of the great victories that we enjoyed for the life issue under President Trump where are these guys if they're such great Christians why aren't they out there calling on the nation to repent and calling the nation back to the Lord and here's an example the article that I wrote for the Washington Times in the week prior to the one that you're citing right now it was actually a prayer the entire article was a prayer because somebody called upon me to pray for our nation's new leaders. And I said, I agree, I should. So I wrote an imprecatory prayer. Now, for those that don't remember what imprecatory prayers are, they're prayers of a call for confession, a call for judgment, a call for repentance, a call for our leaders who are behaving in evil ways to stop. Examples of imprecatory prayers are laden throughout the Psalms. David prayed imprecatory prayers repeatedly. But when I wrote that article, that imprecatory prayer, the Wesleyan Church refused to host that particular prayer on its website. Mm. They took it down. They said it was uncharitable. And my response was, well, are you going to start taking down the Psalms of David also? Because he prayed the same way. Wow. Isn't that stunning? It, it is stunning, but it just goes to show that if you are not willing to take the Bible as a whole, then how in the world can you really make a credible claim that you are about following the Lord? I mean, it's his word for crying out loud. You can't get around that. Right. And we've got this idea in progressive leftist evangelicalism right now that I, I, this is my view, that God is just some great big senile uncle that just wants to give you a great big group hug and sing Kumbaya. Yeah. You know, From Genesis to Revelation, we have one Word of God, one inspired Holy Scripture, and it's inspired by the triune God. So the God of the New Testament, Jesus, if you will, is the same God of the Old Testament. He's the same God, and we need to take the entire biblical narrative as one contextual whole if we're going to understand God. And God, if you read the Bible that way, is a loving, forgiving God, but He's also a demanding God. It isn't just the senile uncle that wants to give you a great big kumbaya group hug and say, it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay if you continue in your evil ways and your disobedient attitude. And that's why we need to pray for our nation's leaders to repent, not tell evangelicals who voted for life and voted for freedom to repent, but tell our leaders who are taking the lives of our children and insulting the dignity of women to repent. Yes, it's an important thing for people to understand. The other question that pops into my head is we've seen what happens with these leftists who absolutely love to cancel people. And you see this, for example, on social media, they'll get a bee in their bonnet about something somebody said once 25 years ago and they unearthed it. And then they mob the person. You better apologize. You better, you know, and then this person who's been cornered and is terrified puts out a statement. I'm terrible. I'm awful. I was awful, but I'm not the person I was then. I'll never do it again. I promise to do better. You see this over and over. But what happens is when you do apologize, sometimes for things that aren't that big of a deal, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. 
there's no forgiveness. It's not like they say, okay, all better. We forgive you. Go on in your career. Go on in your fame and fortune, wherever you were in society. Just return and, and all is well. It never ends that way. And I'm wondering if you believe if we did apologize for voting for Trump, if that would be enough for these never Trump leftist evangelical leaders or would they continue to demand more from us? No, no, it would never be enough. And we know that just by watching the evidence. The only time they will ever forgive you for your conservatism, if you deny the entire conservative agenda and become a leftist and march along with them and goose step (laughs) obediently with the progressive agenda. That's the only time you will be welcomed into that camp. Other than that, I can't remember who said this. It was a it was a mainstream commentator of some sort. Um a talking head on one of the networks who um, was relatively conservative and she had been mobbed by the rage mob. And she tweeted some very good advice. She said this, never bow the knee to the rage mob. Never. Because it's never good enough. It's never good enough. If you bow the knee to the rage mob, they will have your head. The way you deal with this stuff, if you're in the right, if you need to confess because you've committed some sort of um, sin, then confess it. Confess it privately if it was private. Confess it publicly if it was public. And then move on with life. That's the nature of Christianity. You said you were sorry. You confessed it. You asked for forgiveness. Now move on. Move on. But never bow the knee to the rage mob if you didn't do anything wrong. Stand your ground. Show some spine. Be courageous. And be immovable. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's right. Yeah, you know what else continues to bug me is when we go back to the early days of the pandemic last year, and I noticed how many of these leftists were saying, close your church, stay home, obey your rulers, you know, make sure that you follow Romans 13, love your neighbor, stay home, close your church for the foreseeable future. You even had some of these guys closing their churches for the rest of the year, even though government didn't demand it. And then on the other side, you had Christians saying, well, wait a minute, those who are vulnerable can stay home, but come on, these leftist tyrants are letting abortion clinics stay open and liquor stores stay open, but churches have to stay closed. And there was that whole thing. And yet here was Ed Stetzer, who was one of these guys, I hate going back to him again, but just because this particular instance comes up related to him, he went on some Black Lives Matter marches, peaceful marches with black religious leaders in Chicago while he was telling people to keep their churches closed. And I went back to one of these uh, articles that he ran on his exchange blog at Christianity Today, and he had this guest blogger who said evangelicals should now recognize the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement are crying out for a restoration of the Imago Day. And I know how much you like that phrase, Dr. Piper. They're not asking for the gospel per se, and their core values do not pave a road to the cross of Christ. But in light of the historic treatment of blacks in America, their request for a restoration of dignity rooting back to the Imago Day must be granted. And I thought, did this guy miss the part where they were talking about being trained Marxists? This is not true. And they're pushing this as if, oh, they just want to be seen as people. Everybody sees them as people. We just see them as people who are embracing Marxist and far left LGBT ideology, which Christians should reject. Yeah. While you were going through the scenario, the first thing that came to my mind is Marxism. Marxism. Yeah. Marxism. Did yeah. you miss that point? Right. Did you miss that point in Black Lives Matter where they said they stand for the queering of the nuclear family? Yeah. And that they're a Marxist organization that wants to dismantle the biblical definition of what it means to be a man and a woman and a family with children? 
Did you miss that part, Ed Stetzer? And why are you marching with them? Does COVID not venture itself upon your little march, but it will upon those that are pe- preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the parking lot at their church? Right. So it, it's so inconsistent. It makes no sense, and it exposes the lie of their quote-unquote righteous indignation. I mean, they think their indignation toward you is righteous, but yet they're grounding it in what? A Marxist political agenda that gives them some standard of righteousness that is above and beyond the biblical worldview that has been tested by time, defended by reason, and revealed to us in Scripture? Really? Really? You're going to go with a Marxist organization that wants to queer the nuclear family as opposed to 2,000 years of teaching from the Bible that has solidified and defined the church? Huh. I don't know how you can do that and claim to be a Christian leader in our culture today. I agree with you. Dr. Everett Piper, always great. WashingtonTimes.com. You can check out his great work there. Thanks so much, Dr. Piper. Keep up the good work. Hey, blessings. All right. You, you too. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. I have to say, I have been very impressed lately with Senator Rand Paul. I always have liked him a certain amount. I don't suppose any politician is perfect in any way, but I like some of what he's been having to say in the last few months. And I want to give him extreme props for how he handled this interaction with Miguel Cardona. This is the nominee for education secretary. As you know, this is an administration that is all about big gay. Anything big gay wants, big gay gets. But one of the policies, I shouldn't even say policies because it came down via executive order, is having to do, as you know, with this gender identity, sexual orientation, adherence. And one of the casualties of all of this is women's sports, girls' sports. And there have been lawsuits, as you might remember, pertaining to this issue where girls who have been working for years to try to get to the top of their track team or what have you, now having to face the reality that they're letting boys compete against them. And boys just have an incredible physical advantage over girls for obvious reasons. They have better muscles and they're stronger and they're faster and they're bigger. So generally speaking, a girl can't stand a chance if she's competing against a boy. It's why we had boys and girls sports in the first place. Where are all the feminists when you need them? So this is an issue upon which a lot of Americans agree. And I find it interesting because even on the left, you have some people agreeing, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. I think part of the problem, though, is when people buy into the LGBT lies, they are very reluctant to come up against the cognitive dissonance that's created when their ideology runs up against reality and admit to themselves, much less anybody else, that, hey, maybe I took a wrong turn here. Kind of like with abortion. 
It was easier back in the 70s when they could make these ridiculous claims that it was just a little glob of cells in there, not really a human being. And then you fast forward 48 years and all of a sudden you can see in 4D your baby in your womb. How do you continue to make the clump of cells argument? And instead of saying, well, I guess you guys were right the whole time and this really is a baby and it does kick and you can see the movement of the child when you are looking at the ultrasound, uh, rather than actually go in the direction of reality and admit that I made what is a very, very fatal mistake, I'm just going to try to come up with a new argument like choice. This is what they do. It is very hard for people to walk back gigantic errors. In judgment, because people don't naturally like to humble themselves. And that goes for all of us, certainly. But if you're up against something that enormous, wouldn't you walk it back? How many people will end up walking back their adherence to insane transgender ideology? There's no such thing as a transgender. There are people who have gone through mutilating surgeries on the male side of the aisle and on the female side of the aisle. And that's the reality. It's people having surgeries they should never be having to try to create them into becoming the opposite sex, which can never happen. Let's be real about this. And Senator Rand Paul was. I want you to listen to a little bit of his interaction here with Miguel Cardona and listen especially for how this man handles some of these very important issues. This is Senator Paul. Cut one. What do you think in general about boys running in girls track meets like they've been doing in Connecticut? I think that it's critically important that education systems and educators respect the rights of all students, including students who are transgender, um, and that they are afforded the opportunities that every other student has to uh, participate in extracurricular activities. Does it bother you that like the top 20% of boys running in track meets beat all of the girls in the state and that it, you know, would be you know, completely destroy girls' athletics. The girls are being pushed out. Um, They don't make the finals in the state meet. They don't get college scholarships, that it's really detrimental to girls' sports. Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've, as Commissioner of Education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it, and families of uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for, it's, I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meet, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities, even if they're transgender. I think that's their right. Nice dodge. We read between the lines there. Are you kidding me? You're okay with boys participating against girls when they clearly have a physical advantage. The man didn't even come out and say they're not boys, they're not girls, they're whatever their gender identity happens to be according to the way they think about themselves. He didn't even say that. He just stuck to his line and kept repeating it. The answer apparently is yes. And by the way, this whole misnomer that we have to have this legal responsibility and we have to follow our legal responsibility to make sure that every student can participate in extracurricular activities, that's already in place. The boys can compete as boys and the girls can compete as girls. 
It's not hard, but it is hard when you're in the clutches of big gay and you are so beholden to this ideological, radical sexual movement that you can't even think straight anymore. If push came to shove and you had this guy in a private setting and you put these questions to him, what would he actually say? Would he say, yes, we believe transgenderism is a third gender? I mean, you look at him like he was crazy. And there are people who will say that because they can't think straight anymore. They've been so given over, in my opinion, by God to a depraved way of thinking that they can't understand anymore the differences between male and female and the biological realities of XX and XY. And there is a very, as I've said, infinitesimal group of people who are intersex, but that's so infinitesimal. It's it's negligible. At any rate, Senator Paul follows this all up with a great rant. I want you to listen to this. This is cut two. Well, a lot of us think that that's bizarre, you know, not very fair. You know, I come from a family that has a lot of girls who have been, have competed in college athletics, have been state champions. And frankly, you know, some boy that's six foot two competing against my five foot four niece doesn't sound very fair. I think most people in the country think it's bizarre, you know, that it's just (laughs) completely bizarre and unfair that people, and you're going to run the Department of Education, you've got no problem with it. Um, That concerns me. And I I think this kind of thing is going to lead to really just the vast majority of America just wondering who are these people that think it's okay? From what planet are you from? I mean, to think it's okay that boys would compete with girls in a track meet, that that somehow would be fair. Um, I wonder where feminists are on this. I wonder where the people who supported women's sports are on this. I mean, we all going to be okay with hulking six foot four guys, you know, wrestling against girls. Do it, you know. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And so, I think the fact that you seem to be afraid to answer the question, or you basically do answer the question by saying it's okay without saying it's okay really is a statement to a a real problem we have and uh, a disconnect between what middle America and what most Americans actually believe. I even think most Democrats don't believe girls should run in the the boys track meet, Uh, you know, boys should run in the girls track meet. So I'm disappointed in the answer and uh, I just can't imagine that we're going to have a policy like that nationally. Well, we are because President Biden issued an executive order calling on schools to allow transgender athletes to participate in sports due to their perceived gender identity rather than biological sex. So welcome to insanity land. By the way, when we talk about feminists who get it, actually, there are a couple out there. Camille Paglia was one of them. Remember this cut? Cut three. I think that the transgender propagandists, okay, make inf- wildly inflated claims about the multiplicity of gender. Um, the in the uh, uh, sex reassignment surgery, even today, with all of its all of its uh, you know adva- advances, um, cannot in fact change anyone's sex. Okay, you you can you can define yourself as a trans man or a trans woman. It's some one of these new gradations along the scale. But ultimately, every single cell in the human body, the DNA in that cell, remains coded for your biological birth. So there are a lot of lies being propagated at the present moment, okay, which I I think is not in anyone's best interest. May her tribe increase. Even Camille Paglia gets it, and she got a lot of heat for saying that when she did say that, but she is right, and so is Senator Paul, and we can't let this ideology just mow us down like a steamroller because it's not true. It's just not true, and we need to think about the poor souls who are the victims of this ideology. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Back in a moment.
Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. As you know, speaking of the transgender issue. President Biden has selected Dr. Rachel Levine, formerly Richard Levine, for the HHS Assistant Secretary of Health. And anybody who dares say that this is a man gets kicked off Twitter and Facebook. This is the rule. You might just be suspended or you might be permanently banned. What a dumb thing to ban people over. You said something true. Off with your head. We're not going to let you talk anymore. You can't call a man a man. You better call a man a woman. You know, to what extent are we going to continue to put up with the madness? I don't know. But this is very interesting. The Washington Examiner had a piece here by Tom McCluskey of March for Life Action on Biden's HHS nominees, all lacking basic competence in public health. But they protect abortionists. Of course they do. Listen to this. President Biden's nominees for the top three positions at HHS all have troubling records marked by inexperience and incompetence in the area of health care policy. Of course, that doesn't really matter as much as their fealty to the abortion industry. The nominee for secretary of HHS is, of course, Javier Becerra, the California attorney general, who has no background in the field of health care at all. His background includes attacking the First Amendment rights of pregnancy care centers in California, and he ultimately lost that case at the Supreme Court called Nifla v. Becerra. We've talked about that on the show many times, protecting the free speech of pro-life pregnancy centers nationwide. He also sued a group of nuns 
the Little Sisters of the Poor, insisting that they should be forced to pay for contraception and abortifacients in their health care plans. In December 2020, Becerra was faulted by state district attorneys for doing little to stop what was described as the biggest taxpayer fraud in California's history. Investigators said federal pandemic unemployment benefits worth $400 million to possibly over $1 billion were fraudulently obtained in the names of ineligible prisoners by criminal associates. The vast majority of this money will likely never be recovered, according to prosecutors. Wisconsin's acting Secretary of Health, Andrea Palm, has been nominated for the second most powerful position at HHS, and that is Deputy Secretary. Palm came to the Badger State position with no health care education or experience beyond a brief stint at HHS. And within a year of her taking the position, Palm showed she was way in over her head when it came to the state's COVID-19 response. Her public appearances addressing the pandemic caused confusion as she seemed not to understand the data. Now, I could make a joke about people in the administration not knowing what's going on. Maybe that's kind of the vibe in the White House. I don't know. Palm repeatedly exceeded her position's lawful powers, even issuing an emergency order to close the state indefinitely. And then the legislature sued her and successfully overturned that order. She was sued for continuing to close and restrict religious gatherings. And she also advised the governor to delay the spring election, which the state Supreme Court blocked. She sounds awesome. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention ranked Wisconsin under Palm's leadership 40th in the nation in its vaccine rollout. She is just getting better all the time. Half of the doses provided to Wisconsin have not yet been administered and the state still hasn't completed its priority lists for who should be vaccinated and when. This is kind of an interesting comparison. Look what's going on in Florida. Finally, Biden put in Dr. Rachel, a.k.a. Richard Levine, for HHS. Assistant Secretary of Health, her incompetent, don't say her, Tom, you know better. His incompetence as Pennsylvania Secretary of Health is without a doubt the worst of the three. Levine knew that the order issued from his office forcing COVID-19 patients into nursing homes would lead to deaths. Levine, as you know, then moved his mother out of a care facility and that caused some turmoil. And yet, when we look further on down in the story, what these three HHS nominees also have in common is their loyalty to abortion, mega business, Planned Parenthood, and promotion of abortion in general. While in Congress, Becerra received a 100% rating from Planned Parenthood and NARAL Pro-Choice America. As California Attorney General, Becerra used his power to protect Planned Parenthood from a baby body parts trafficking scandal. Hey, by the way, is that still being investigated? Because it's been years now. How hard is it? Uh, become to actually compile all of the information that's already readily available and conclude that these people need to be dealt with legally. Uh, I'm sure about the time that Hillary Clinton goes to jail, we'll, we'll figure out if Planned Parenthood is in fact guilty of this very obvious scandal of baby body parts trafficking. Instead, he used his office, Becerra did, to file charges against, as you know, David Daleiden and his organization, the Center for Medical Progress. Palm used her office to declare abortion an essential service and named a former lobbyist and lawyer for Planned Parenthood to be her state deputy secretary. Levine opposed legislation in Pennsylvania that included a ban on late-term dismemberment abortions. And as Secretary of Health, Levine designated abortion facilities, including Planned Parenthood, as essential, but excluded other elective surgical procedures from this designation. So we're going to have just a fantastic lineup at HHS. This is what you want, America?
This is what you want. You want the climate madness and the transgender madness and the border madness. And now Biden's going to be letting in more refugees during a pandemic. Fantastic. As his press secretary has announced that with the vaccine, you're still going to have to wear your masks. Why do you why get a vaccine if you're just going to continue to do all the things that you did before? I thought the purpose of the vaccine was you could drop doing all of those other things because the vaccine would protect you, at least after a couple of weeks. (laughs) That's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong, because apparently the CDC is now taking the place of the executive and the legislative branches and just dictating you're going to be violating federal law if you don't wear your mask in the airports and on the airplanes and everywhere else they tell you to wear them uh, uh, in federal facilities. So the CDC is now ruling your life. Are you happy yet? Are you happy? (laughs) I'm not happy. I'm laughing so I won't cry. Well, I'll give you a little bit of good news. There is a new poll out from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, headed up by George Barna. This is very interesting. Support for socialism in the United States is at its lowest level in years. Isn't that interesting? With less than a third of all American adults, only 32 percent, preferring socialism to capitalism in the wake of the 2020 election. It was 41 percent only two years ago. Hmm. Very interesting. The latest findings from this 2020 post-election survey suggest a sharp and relatively rapid rejection of socialism and many of the policies likely to be promoted by President Biden and the Democrat Party in the next four years. A nine percentage point decline among U.S. adults in the last two years actually accounts for 20 million fewer people preferring socialism over capitalism. Which age group do you think is more inclined to think socialism is neato? You're right, the under 30s. This is the fault of adults, folks. It's the fault of adults. If your children don't know why capitalism is better than socialism, that is on you. Do not expect the Sunday school teacher to inform them. Do not expect the schools to inform them, not even Christian schools. That's your job as a mom. That's your job as a dad. We do it in my house all the time. We have conversations about communism regularly. And we talk about Mao and we talk about Lenin. We talk about Stalin. We talk about Cuba. We talk about the Soviet Union. We go through all of these things. That's how kids learn. I'm not patting myself on the back. But what I'm saying is it needs to be an intentional conversation. If you are going to raise your children to believe the right things, you have to take the lead as a parent. And maybe some have. Maybe some have. Maybe some great parents walked around the grocery stores and said during the height of the pandemic, hey, remember last week we were here and there was no toilet paper? And this week we're here and there is toilet paper. Do you know why that is, little Johnny? Because we live in America and we have a supply chain and these businesses can make adjustments on the fly and they can begin to up the production and they don't have to worry about a five-year plan the way they did in the old Soviet Union. And if you were living in Venezuela, little Johnny, we wouldn't have toilet paper probably for the next three years. How do you like the toilet paper, little Johnny? <laughs> okay, well, there's your answer. Now, let's go back. I want to I play this, if I can, very, very quickly to Cabot Phillips of Campus Reform interviewing college kids in AOC's district about socialism two years ago. Listen to Cut 5. I feel like everyone should have, like, um, free um, education and health care. How are we going to pay for those? Um, I mean... Us. Us, I guess. Who, in your mind, should pay for all of the free things? All of the free things? Well, some of it should come from taxes, but the government should pay for it. But the government is funded by taxes. Yeah. I don't know where the money would come from, but... 
they can figure it out. Okay. <laughs> the people with a good idea and a good reason to spend their tax money wouldn't mind actually paying more taxes. Okay. Spoken like a guy who doesn't pay taxes, or at least doesn't pay that much in taxes. You'll love paying more taxes because socialism is so moral and it's so good. I don't know how we'll pay for it. I have no idea how we'll pay for it. The government will pay for it. And then we'll also use some tax money. Hey, genius, where do you think the government gets its money from people who work and save and pay taxes? That's the people down the street from you who are intelligent enough not to vote for somebody who's a democratic socialist. You might want to wake up a little bit. People are going to live and learn if we keep going down a bad trail. Keep praying for this country. Thanks for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.